Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Recording this on a rainy Monday night, February 19th in Northern California. We have the Daytona 500, which just ended. Oh, boy. Um, hey, thanks for all the questions you sent in. Still been a busy time of late, even though we did two episodes of the show last week. Here we are with plenty more, all put together by our dear friend, Jerry Suddeth. Says we have about 30 questions or so. Won't get to all of them in this episode. number of them are similar in thought, in concept, or something similar. So Jerry picks the one he thinks represents the general query the best and poses that one. Also, if you're a newer listener to the show, wonder how to send in questions. Tend to put out the call for questions each week around noon or so California, maybe one o'clock California on my X slash Twitter profile, that being at Marshall Pruitt. And then also on the Marshall Pruitt podcast, Facebook page. So if you've been wondering how to submit questions, look for that call every Monday lunchtime or so California on my good old tweeters and uh, the MP podcast, Facebook page. Just post that question below the call for questions, and then Jerry will pick and choose from those that he gathers for me. Uh, Before we get rolling with the show, let's pay homage to those who make the show possible. Time to say a big thank you to our show partners on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, starting with FAF Technologies, build-to-print composites manufacturing company. They're specializing in medium to large-scale automotive, motorsports, and military applications. Visit faftechnologies.com. It's P-F-A-F-F technologies.com to learn more about their services and how they can benefit your business. Next, it's the Justice Brothers, makers of premium additives, lubricants, and cleaners and servicing the automotive and motorsports industries for more than 85 years with victories in all the biggest North American motor races, including the Indianapolis 500, the 24 Hours of Daytona, The Justice Brothers products are truly race-proven. Learn about their vast history and range of offerings at justicebrothers.com. If you're fond of awesome motor racing collectibles, including FAF Motorsports McLaren gear and goodies, pay a visit to torontomotorsports.com. And finally, we have a new online merchandise home for the podcast, thepruittstore.com. For all the show stickers, models, racing memorabilia I'm trying to sell and put towards our fun to buy a house is now live and rocking the pruittstore.com spent some time over the weekend doing ever more cleaning and organizing won't give you all the boring details but back when we moved into the spot we are in right across from the hospital and healthcare system that we've been plugged into since Uh, Cancer entered our world here five, six years ago. Uh, My wife, Shabrell, was uh, in the hospital. Uh, This was only a couple months after super big attack uh, had happened. And so ended up having to pack and move solo. And no, that's a bad thing. But if there was a downside, it meant that some boxes, some things were kind of stuffed in a corner. And then in a short amount of time, more things were put on top of them and on top of them and almost 
forgotten to time. And so last weekend took some time, uh, knowing that, well, didn't have a Super Bowl victory to celebrate, uh, didn't have a whole lot going on in the sports world to take my attention on television. And so at least during the days prior to the NBA all-star stuff in Indianapolis, which was really cool, um, made some headway in digging into some of those recesses and corners and found a box <laughs> from 2018 of t-shirts made by our show partner, torontomotorsports.com. Uh, first, just about, I think maybe the first ever show tune for the weekend IndyCar drawn by our dear friend, Roger Warwick. And there weren't many of those, but found a handful of those found a bigger batch of the weekend sports cars, t-shirts using, I think again, just about the first ever show tune done by Roger for us back from early 2018. And so as soon as I'm able to hear, I'm going to put those, uh, limited last really ever, uh, t-shirts up on the Pruitt store here. And if any of you knuckleheads have been listening for a long time, want one, well, these do go back to pretty much the first, uh, first generation of show tune stuff. So it was just, my wife was like, what is going on? Cause she heard this big cackle of me going, ha, look at that. And, uh, yeah, wasn't sure what was in the box at the bottom of all the others. And indeed some cool old weekend sports cars and weekend indie car t-shirts never worn, just been sitting actually really nice too. They're, I don't know what material they are, but it's just they're silky silky smooth so big thanks to torontomotorsports.com and then also in the box that was above that found some old models which after five or six years i hate to say it you just kind of forget they even existed and so open that box found my a-team van uh which i found in a east lansing michigan thrift store summer of maybe 96 i think and brought that with me to a variety of indycar races and other events uh in 97 98 um and photographed that on a variety of indycars and you name it uh, that was in there a box i think it was just a t-shirt in the boxes at the time but of some new day bootio <laughs> wannabe cereal boxes but again it didn't quite make cereal at that point and i think i found a couple of uh, Parnelli Jones STP turbine, like one eighteenth models, which I think I was given, uh, around 2017, 2018. I don't remember. And they've just been sitting in the box, never opened. So those two are items that will likely just go to the Pruitt store. Uh, but anyways, crazy, like, Oh, what is this? Oh, what is that? Found some more items too. So, uh, as I have time, I'll put those up and let y'all know they are available all right with all that said uh it occurred to me earlier today that i haven't had a beer in almost a month and so have this benedictiner benedictina i'm not sure how to pronounce this i think it might be german austrian or similar uh fest beer it does say it's imported from germany and what else does it say on here uh may uh brewed in accordance with the German purity laws. All right, so let's crack this open. 
know this is going to be exactly what I normally go for, but it was sitting there taking up space. So, hmm, all right, well, reminds me more of like a Bud Light, Coors Light, something light uh, or similar. Um, actually, I don't know if I've had many of those. Maybe just a regular Bud or something. Uh, German Bud, but with a little bit more flavor. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be drinking too much more of that. But hey, anyways, let's get rolling with your show. Thanks once again to everything you sent in and to our guys, Jerry Siddeth, for putting them together. And one other quick reminder, which I'm glad I'm being called out on this more and more. I endeavor to complete these episodes in an hour or less. I fail almost every single time. And so, yes, the the quote Pruitt hour thing has become a thing to where uh yeah if you run drastically behind and you kind of know you're going to but still try not to but you do anyways i think that's the rough rough definition of a prude hour so i'm gonna try but yeah just be prepared for failure uh all right andrew miller let me take another sip from this yeah it doesn't really get any better uh andrew says i'm typing this during a daytona 500 commercial break Sounds like the perfect time for Dale Coyne to announce his 2024 drivers. Any updates to share since your last coin item on racer.com? Uh, well, last year, last year, I'm drunk already, y'all. Two sips from this really anemic uh, German beer, and I'm drunk, apparently. Uh, if you listen to last week's show, the last show of last week... You might have heard I mentioned that Nolan Siegel is expected to do four races in one of the cars. I would be lying if I told you I knew exactly who was going to be driving everything uh, within Dale Coin Racing this year. I will be surprised if Jack Harvey is out of luck. Can't tell you if he would be full-time or part-time taking some of those other events in the car no one would be driving but if we recall that one entry last year the one driven by david malukas the number 18 last year that made it into and earned a leader circle contract in theory that means i mean granted teams would love to get a full operating budget and just kind of pocket that million but it's not uncommon when trying to sell one's IndyCar seats, and Dale Coin does indeed sell both, Andrew, uh, to need slightly less for a car that has a leader circle attached to it. So what I don't know is which of the two full-time Honda-powered Dale Coin Racing entries will indeed have Nolan Siegel, uh, which one would have Jack Harvey, be it part-time or full-time, and who would be in the part-time car along with Nolan for the season to take the 13 other races, some ovals, some road and street courses. I don't have the answer to that. I imagine if I put in more time to try and nail that down, I probably could. I don't know if I get all of it, Andrew, but I could probably get answers to most. This is just a, an honest admission here. I have enough other stories that I need to do, some of which are pretty decent. At least one that is like, ooh, 
Wow. Um, hmm. I really need to dedicate some time to that. Uh, also knowing that the season starts here in what, just about three weeks or so. Like I'm trying to think of a, not a polite way to say this, but just a honest, but non dickish way to put this. Love the Dale coin racing team. Genuinely love Dale, love the people inside of it who make the cars happen the concept of dale being the last team to nominate its drivers is an old story in indycar um have a feeling as you mentioned last week that we know well we know one of them that's meant to be involved but we think we know at least two with nolan and jack um chasing this to the ends of the earth my friend uh there's a little bit of DGAF going on. Um, so look forward to the team confirming who's going to be doing what. It is incumbent upon them to do that quickly. So this week we have a three-day IndyCar hybrid test at Homestead, Tuesday through Thursday. Our friend Callum Eilat will be one of those test drivers on behalf of Aaron McLaren just running one of Chevrolet's two test cars. Then we get busy the following week. That would be Sebring International Raceway, February 26, 27. I believe that's Monday and Tuesday. It is the one and only full paddock, all the full-time entries group test prior to the start of the season in full 2024 chassis configuration all the lightweight and different components for hybridization minus the energy recovery system it took long enough for all the vendors who make all of the other bits and pieces for this 2024 chassis package minus that ers unit to make enough of them to outfit the entire field. And so this is the, now that y'all have everything and have been able to update and upgrade your cars, this test next Monday and Tuesday, a little over a week before those teams need to load into St. Petersburg, some drivers, some teams will be running cars for the very first time many of them to be honest will be running cars for the very first time in that full 2024 specification minus the ers units and so overstating the obvious it'd be really smart for coin to have at least his drivers for saint pete and i guess thermal which is two weekends after St. Pete lined up. Uh, who's going to be driving at the Indy Open test? Uh, that comes next on the schedule. We expect Nolan Siegel to be confirmed as one of those drivers. Again, we would think Jack Harvey would probably be the other, again, unless they're doing something out, totally out of expectation. But at minimum, even if the team's not ready to say who's driving what at every race this season, there is a timely need for them to get on track next week, both cars, in full 
as they're going to race them at St. Pete and beyond specification. They were able to bring one car, which Jack drove and Nolan drove when I was at the Homestead Miami test, Andrew, in what, third week of January. So they've been able to do that with one car, but this will be the debut for their other chassis, fully built to 2024 specs. So just saying, not only is there a need for the team to get the super new car or super updated car on track for the first time, but getting both on track, getting their St. Pete and thermal, hopefully drivers plugged in, working with the race engineers, the crews warmed up, like beyond just who is the driver for these machines. We have the, and there's an entire dozen plus crew people attached who need to get into race mode, go testing, get everything kind of woke back up and fully ready since we haven't done this much since September 10th or whenever the season finale was in Monterey. So lots going on here, friend, and we should, uh, at minimum, hopefully hear about who's going to be driving those cars before the test. Um, Let me take another sip just to clear my throat. Yep. Benedict Tyner, you are a one and done. Our pal Zach Bertram says, with NASCAR owners hiring an antitrust attorney, due to how they feel things are going with revenue sharing negotiations, could this give IndyCar pause on their own desire to have a charter system? Well, that's an interesting one, Zach. Thanks for asking. If you keep in mind that those pesky nascar owners hiring that antitrust attorney also include reigning nascar cup champion (laughs) roger penske and team penske uh this is really wild on one end penske part of a team ownership group that wants to improve what they get from america's most popular most wealthy most successful motor racing sanctioning body um while trying and failing miserably to launch a charter like thing of his own in the series that we all love and are dear to our hearts but our happens to be a distant second to in uh, nascar in terms of popularity um that was just like laughed out of existence here towards the end of last year so that to me is the really interesting pickle hey nascar you've got this giant new tv deal starting next year where more money seemingly than ever is coming in and we want a bigger slice and we want more of what's being made and we're not happy with the progress being made in the negotiation of this charter contract thing, which ends at the end of 2024, based on what I read. You guys know I'm not a NASCAR expert, so I'm genuinely just going by what I read, have read, compared to like what I know from being on the inside. But yeah, so on one end, give us more. On the owning the series side where there is no real business structure whatsoever that allows 
IndyCar teams to profit from anything in terms of the business that they make possible. The exception is prize money. Just a little bit of a caveat here for me. Every racing series, every pro series that I know of offers prize money. So I don't really look at that as some sort of, well, there's your business incentive. Formula One teams do not compete in F1 because they got really good prize money. No, it's the commercial returns. It is money that comes back to them through these giant TV deals, whatever other commercial rights, you name it. Those who are signed part of that agreement among the teams with Formula One's owner, Liberty Media, the reason they're being so hard-headed about allowing any other teams in, even though the new team would have to pay an anti-dilution fee in the hundreds of millions of dollars, is those 10 teams realize, hey, we'd lose money if someone else, an 11th team, was allowed to come in and get some of this gravy. So you think about IndyCar, just trying to paint a picture, Zach, because maybe not everybody knows. IndyCar, about 20-ish years ago, created something they call the leader circle. It said the top X amount of teams finish in the top X positions in the entrance championship. Well, you get a, the offer of a contract to receive guaranteed prize money the following season. If we look at what it has been in recent years, this is before Penske Entertainment bought the series and after. It's been the top 22 cars finishing in the entrance championship. Those top 22 locked in, provided they accept the offer, to get about $1.1 million a year in guaranteed prize money. That has been the only business link between nine of the 10 teams now, Roger Penske obviously owns one of those 10. It's the only business link between nine of the 10 full-time team owners in IndyCar and the series. And here, coming back to the note a few moments ago about coin, there's no such thing as guaranteed prize money, leader circle admittance for every entry at every team. If we look at last year, there were 27 full-time entries. 22, since that's the limit that's been held in place, awarded contracts. Five weren't. One of them was coins. Look at the Foyt team. Look at some other teams. Look at what I think Andretti as well. Like, there's some teams, big, medium, and small who do not have that $1.1-ish million for this upcoming season in terms of guaranteed prize money. So there are some teams that partially have business ties to IndyCar. Just sharing all this, Zach, because IndyCar's desire to create a charter-like system one that, as it was originally presented to me by Roger Penske, 
himself was wanting to create equity, a thing that had value for each entry, at least as it was originally shared with me. The concept was shared with me. I had not heard anything about, and we're going to limit it to X amount of entries, like the leader circle program. It was, if you commit to IndyCar team owner with your X amount of entries, and we'll figure out, you know, we're not saying if one team decides to enter 10 cars for the season, all 10 are going to get membership, but nonetheless, we'll figure out some sort of charter system that makes sense. I believe, and pardon my ignorance if I'm wrong, but I believe there's a limit to how many charters an individual NASCAR cup team can have, right? It's where we see, have seen some alliances and such. Um, but never heard anything about it being completely wide open, but also it was never at least originally floated to me as being tied directly to the leader circle and that number of 22. Nonetheless, what we've seen evolve a bit is we want to give IndyCar team owners something that has value. So as I read today in a story, NASCAR president Steve Phelps, I believe, uh, was saying what he saw charters going for three or four years ago. I'm again taking his word on it of, you know, four or five million dollars has like (laughs) gone crazy almost tenfold right most recent charter sale is rumored to have been about 40 million dollars for that entry so you can see where from a indycar team owner standpoint the concept of having a charter like thing for each entry even if it's half quarter whatever its value is compared to a nascar charter even if it's three four five million bucks it's still something and if you're a team like michael andretti's which has three entries or chip ganassi which has five again heard the general framing might be three charters per team in indycar but again kind of in the not so long ago suggestions a couple years ago regardless you can see where there's value to be received by teams who would get such a thing there'd also be value by indycar right its series being seen as something that has high value uh, to be an owner and hopefully folks would want to invest and become team owners and find ways to get in and create some demand for it zach which there hasn't been those who've wanted to come in have there's been no business structure whatsoever to it in terms of anything with the series and if teams decide to go or remove an entry and run fewer cars well they just do that their decision to drop down and maybe sell that and there's nothing been no commodity there so i get why there's been a desire to do this so mentioning all that just coming back to the antitrust attorney the stuff you've mentioned on the nascar side from its owners and their disenfranchisement with what they perceive as 
not being given enough of, of the future income slice and revenue slice. Um, I don't see that being a huge limiting factor, at least not at the moment. And just for a couple of quick reasons before we move on. Culturally, this isn't a thing that IndyCar has had more or less ever. Back in the 80s, you had the cart franchise system, and those franchises did have value. It wasn't something, though, that was a hotly traded commodity. Cart also, on the topic of commodity, went public and... Again, uh, didn't necessarily end up going anywhere. But although this charter franchise thing has been done, I mean, honestly, is done in cart way before NASCAR did, but doesn't change the fact that there's never really been, to my recollection, kind of a, a stampede of folks trying to get one and raising each other's bids to get a hold of them. And it just representing crazy money that a cart franchise owner benefited from and retired from because of the profits culturally nascar its charter system that's been around for a while the fights and arguments over slice of the pie and who gets how much and etc that is a bit of a cultural norm there it's been around long enough these kind of issues have been around long enough for it to be a thing hasn't in indycar so I don't foresee the same worries on IndyCar's side about this, what's going on in NASCAR affecting things over here, because as it was last told to me by quite a few folks who were centrally receiving it, uh, it died a painful and swift death. And we'll see if it comes back from the dead. I feel like i might have mentioned this before about this but if not i'll just reiterate it because i was told yet again by someone else uh, at the end of last week um indycar asked each entrant of the 22 leader circle membership charter what would be the inaugural class if you want to call it that of the top 22 finishing entrant entries from 2023 indycar asked for a million dollars from each of them uh asked for a collective 22 million dollars from its paddock to get this leader circle membership going and <laughs> yeah uh that was not met with any kind of positive response nor did it go through so i see different worlds going on here zach but uh, I'll have to keep checking in to see if there's any progress made for IndyCar to push it forward. Uh, let's see. We're going to get into a couple of questions about Errol McLaren, uh, Davey Malukas, Kaloum, Um Let's get rolling here. Uh, Lynn, formerly the Spurs fan from the good old Twitters slash X, says MP with Callum Eilat testing. Davey Malukas' car at Homestead this week. Is he the probable driver for St. Pete? Was there a chance for Connor Daly to be in that car? Always chances. Um, I would say, assuming everything goes the way I expect them to. This, again, being a 
hybrid test where instead of a team test, maximum performance uh, demonstrations needed, but actually obviously go out this hybrid test, Air McLaren's running for Chevy. Uh, be quick, be precise, give great feedback, do as instructed. These all seem like things that Callum should be able to do with ease. And given his experience in Formula One testing with Ferrari in particular and their hybrid cars as of a couple of years ago, I think he will would end up being the first driver Chevy has had as a test driver with the most recent Formula One hybrid testing knowledge to share and impart with Team Chevy engineers in the Aero McLaren engineers. So I think this should go swimmingly. Uh, he cannot make the test next week, the two-day 2024 spec chassis test at Sebring because this weekend is the prologue, which is the FIWEC's preseason official test run at the uh, Qatar track. Um, he has to be there. That's his full-time employer with the uh, Jota Team Hertz Porsche 963 hybrid prototype team. That's his full-season jam. So he's got to be there for that. That runs through Sunday. He, yeah, there's no real way he can do his job properly for Jota and get to Sebring in time and be fresh, ready, and you name it, to be of, of value to Aaron McLaren. It'd just be way too much in a super compressed amount of time. So he won't be doing next week's test, as I was informed today. But assuming everything goes super well on Wednesday at Homestead, I would have to think he would be on pole position to come back and race for the team at St. Pete. Who would the team put in the car next week? Truly don't know. They do have Zach Veach as a reserve driver. I'd love to see our guy Zach get the nod. Uh, could that be a Oliver Askew? Would love to see good old O.A., get uh, a shot there as well even if it's strictly just two days of testing of that number six chevy to make sure it's all happy and good all the new componentry ready to go for saint pete um connor i haven't heard anything and i just don't know if there's a real relationship between zach brown and gavin ward and so on that would have them putting connor um, right to the front with all that in mind. Uh, Mark Cardella says, what is the probability David Malukas never turns a race lap for Aaron McLaren? Uh, I would say zero. Only way I would see that changing is if Jota, for whatever reason, decided it no longer wanted Callum to drive for them. And the team was so impressed by Callum this Wednesday that it said, we must absolutely make sure you drive our car. Contractually, would Malukas probably have some grounds for uh, 
some grumpy legal intervention? I mean, I'd have to assume so, but uh, here's a couple just very quick takeaways. Ask the team, Zach Brown, McLaren Racing CEO, Gavin Ward, team principal, others within the team, hey, tell me about this kooky kid, David Malukas. We've loved him, right? But what have you guys found with him? They said they just love him as well. Found him to be really sharp, really astute, and then brings all the other fun stuff. Like he's the... He's become a glue guy within the team already. And kind of like the shop dog, almost everybody loves to see the shop dog and gives good old Charlie a little pat and belly rub and gives him some snacks when he comes around. And like Davey, who's yet to do a single race for the team, as I am told by members of the team, uh, is someone who they really care for. And so, barring some truly unforeseeable chain of events, and it would have to be a really crazy chain of events, I can think of nothing, Mark, that would prevent Malukas from climbing into that car and going racing in it once he is fully healed. The team wants him. They are super curious to find out about him. In the same way, they're super curious to learn about Callum. But the key takeaway here is this. Was told in no uncertain terms. They don't fully know what they got in Davey Malukas. The kid did two years with Dale Coyne, kind of entry-level team, right? Classic first IndyCar team for a young driver like Davey. Super impressed about a third of the time as a rookie. About half the time as a sophomore last year. With McLaren team unable to find, sign a free agent that they really wanted. They saw Malukas become available and said, hey, well, let's give it a try. We don't know what you are. You don't know what you are, right? You're too young, too inexperienced to really know if you are future champion material or future multiple race winner, but not much more, or a guy who never rises to the challenge to win IndyCar races. We don't know. You don't know we've seen enough to be intrigued and this is Malukas leveling up by joining Arrow McLaren not the other way around and so I don't know what he's being paid I feel comfortable in saying it's probably not an outrageous amount of money I also feel comfortable in saying the team probably did not obligate itself to run David for the next million years through some crazy long first contract. As I have understood the situation, this is meant to be a prove-it year. Do well, you will very likely get an invitation to come back and do this some more. 
if not hey we tried it and it was cool and your dad's been saying you want to start an indycar team and who knows maybe another team would be interested in you but this was a classic let's give it a shot compared to some sort of boy we are signing you up for the next 10 years off we go so knowing that the team was interested enough in him to close here mark to sign him definitely came as a bit of a surprise to many myself included can love the kid but uh i wasn't thinking he was going to be going to air mclaren at the end of the year they want to see what they got and who knows maybe he turns out to be a huge surprise in terms of being able to run close to or who knows match pato award or alexander rossi they want to go find out and so because of that barring some crazy thing happening they are going to do just that and davy will be given all of the tools to show the team that they should keep him for a really long time and have a long and happy and fruitful relationship together that's something they've invested in and they want to find out if that investment will pay off and demand more years added to it uh, todd hudson you say mp a lot of ifs here if callum runs from a lucas and delivers a solid top five or ten performance do you think they'd be open to running a fourth car um that they're maybe going to have him in for who knows indy in a, a few weekends that don't conflict with the wec i do not the team is really good at assembling quality folks for an extra Indy 500 entry. But having that crew to run a car at more races than that, getting a lease from Chevy to do that, and McLaren is indeed the team with the deepest pockets in the series, but money's needed to run that as well. Um, unbudgeted unstaffed possibly unengined <laughs> although chevy does love callum um it's just a lot of stuff here that would make it hard to imagine this todd at this moment now if one of its drivers starts struggling i mean it's got two drivers who are out of contract at the end of the year I believe Malukas is one of them, um, and Rossi is certainly one of them as well. If the team starts struggling a bit, and one of, I should say, with either of those entries, they wanted to evaluate another driver, someone like an Eilat, uh, or whomever, could I foresee them saying, you know, we rolled the dice a bit coming into 24 with Malukas, and as a team that is meant to vie for championships, we are just going to get away from rolling the dice again whenever possible. Can we put another car out later in the year? Again, tough, but we possibly do that. Uh, get a, a taste test and sample uh, an lot in a different environment, right? Maybe on an oval, maybe again, could be another driver. I could see that. 
but at least right now with all those ifs in mind todd doesn't seem like something they would be uh, trying to spool up to do uh steve bonnick you doing steve i really should stick to the beers you turned me on to brother i uh <laughs> i pooped the bed on this one but i'm taking another sip nope still whack uh says mp hope you and the family are well any super super early idea of what seats might be available in 2025 for a guy callum Ilot asking now is my way of coping with him not being full-time this year uh, yeah i mean if i'm thinking back to the teams that expressed significant interest in him uh before things fell apart with hunkos um and who might have had a seat open i know that there was some interest at foyt i know that there was some interest at andretti Aaron mclaren jumps out as the number one team of interest not a surprise since we're now seeing them having him come in to do some testing i believe there was interest held at ganassi uh, i'm just sharing the who before getting to the what might be available um i don't there might have been inquiry from Carpenter. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't recall if Meyer Shank was looking. Uh, Ray Hall, Edelman, Lanigan feels like they might have been a little bit. Uh, I don't know if Penske was. Not knowing if Graham Ray Hall is going to continue after 2024. That stands out as a possibility. Christian Lingard's contract is up at the end of the year. Will he stay with RLL? or go to another team um again not sure what if everyone at penske will be locked down in or for 2025 and beyond if there's any openings there anywhere i gotta believe penske will make a run at lungard if they haven't already spoken with him shank is one that jumps out for sure it's got two new drivers to the team one being a rookie in Tom Blomqvist, the other one veteran in Felix Rosenqvist. I think they're going to fall in love with Felix for sure. I hope Tom has an awesome year. Do feel like, though, at least one of those seats could be open if there's a lack of awesomeness. So that would be a place uh, that jumps out for Kaloum, possibly. Um, Renus VK is another one who's out of contract at the end of the year. I think he could be of interest for sure to some of the teams that I just mentioned. Uh, so who knows? That could be an opening potentially for them to fill. Um, no clue if there'll be any openings at Ganassi. Um, what else? I don't think there will be on the Andretti side. I believe everybody there has signed up for a good long time unless they were to decide to want to go back to four cars. Uh, so, yeah, Foyt, Errol McLaren, Carpenter maybe, Meyer Shank, RLL. They all jump out with drivers who either could be free agents or are will absolutely be free agents, many whom could re-sign with their current teams. But, yeah. Uh, there should be a lot, Steve. Move on to John Richter says, does Alex Pillow being included in the Lamont lineup complete the circle of Ganassi for him after the McLaren fiasco? 
is this is the clearest message yet that he can be the next Scott Dixon in terms of tenure if he wants it. Yeah, uh, I mean, this shows that the team and Cadillac both trust him enough to say, we're going to put you in our Cadillac Racing branded entry at Daytona, at Circuit de la Sarthe. I mean, those are pretty big honors. I'll mention the one other thing here, John, uh, to go with your note that being trusted as an all-rounder to represent the team in, you know, wherever Chip Ganassi wants. There's one other thing that came to mind with the note about racing Daytona, Le Mans, wherever else. We expect him to do that at Petit Le Mans and maybe the Indy, uh, Indy Brickyard, Battle on the Bricks event, which is a longer race as well. Who knows? But these are also additional earning opportunities. Fully expect Alex, unfortunately, but based on his choices, to have significant financial penalties to be paid here once things are determined by a lawyer in the lawsuit against him by McLaren. As I have seen his name listed, this entry list and that entry list and more of these things, I'm super happy for him career-wise. I've also had in the back of my head, this is a smart strategy. I'd be out there as well. I don't know what each of these pay. Is it an extra 50 grand, 7,500? I can't, I don't know what it is, but go and get it for as long as you can. And also knowing that he will likely need to give McLaren a lot of his dollars and whatever else's possessions here in the near future um this seems to be a smart strategy assuming that this is part of the strategy if it isn't and it's just a coincidence no worries but from the outside i've seen it and said this is smart um pad your bank account as much as you can uh because this is going to make it easier on you in the longer term to pay whatever debt you were told to pay. Uh, our friend Cassie Johnston, a.k.a. at mama underscore G-Force, M-A-M-A underscore G-Force, please follow her. She had my favorite social media post of the week so far, saying that she went for a three-quarter mile walk. And this is after being largely bedridden for the past many months dealing with some really unfun and really serious physical maladies that have cropped up. So seeing the mention that Cass was able to get out and do some proper exercise, that just brings a super smile to, uh, I think, many of our faces. Uh, she says, MP, this is from last week's questions. Do have a little bit of a follow-up here? Just not a lot of info. She says, I'm excited to head back to Milwaukee. Curious if you've heard any news on the infrastructure updates that we're planning to do to prepare for the event. Uh, I know there were some safety and logistical concerns that needed to be addressed. So, yes, reached out to the series, which is a part of the promotional efforts behind Milwaukee, although most of those efforts are being led by uh, the state. Um, 
and was told, got nothing for you right now, but end of the month, beginning of March, should have a proper update on the aforementioned topics to share with you. So, yeah, week and a half, two weeks away, should have some info here. I'll drop that into a story cast so uh, everybody can take that home. All right, uh, let me see. We're going to mash the throttle a bit. Try not to run too far afoul of the Pruitt hour. <laughs> Although I know I'm going to fail. Uh, our pal Amy. What are you doing, Amy? She says, I heard a while back, rumors of a Denver street race. Uh, mentioned she knows that IMS President Doug Bowles uh, was in Colorado recently for some IMS promotions. Any word on whether the street race is gaining any traction? I'm just going to make a note to myself here, Amy, to uh, do a Denver street race follow spelled follow up exclamation point i need to take a photo of the post-it notes on my desk um like the unabomber wrote fewer little notes none of these include manifestos but uh yeah of my many to do items one of them is to go through all of them and throw away the vast majority but like yeah, within them, though, I find these little nuggets. I'm just grabbing a couple. Uh, here, here's a post-it note from a few weeks back. Uh, Nolan Siegel, IndyCar hard cards, pricing increase, IndyCar sweet price increase. At the bottom, uh, Nashville in trouble, question mark. Uh, Borchetta, question mark. Uh, yeah, so... I think I can throw that one away because I have used most of that and stuff, but not all of it. Uh, let me see. Got a note here from last week in a call with uh, IMSA team owner Wayne Taylor. Got a little story to do there. Love that guy. He's hilarious. Uh, inflation calculator. Yeah, anyways. Um, it It's ridiculous. But anyways, uh, I just made a new post-it note that hopefully I won't hold on to for weeks for, or months for no reason, Amy. And next time I speak when the series, assuming they will tell me these things, I will inquire. Austin Taylor up next says, what are some of the tracks that have come close to being added to the calendar in recent years, but never did. (laughs) I, I still don't feel like I can mention this one, but, uh, we almost went very far abroad for an international race Um, in a city where, yeah, some really bad stuff happened. And it's one of those things that, in hindsight, and I've had this conversation with the series. I probably mentioned it. I, I need to ask the person who told me about it if I could ever mention it. At the time, I was told I can't. So obviously going to honor that, but I got to ask maybe with enough time now between being told, um, if I could mention it, but like, it's one of those things that (laughs) had IndyCar gone there, it would just be one of those like forever punchlines. Um, yeah. Oh man. And like, it wasn't just like a general email had come in from someone in that city or principality or whatever it was inquiring. Like 
people actually got on planes and traveled to the place and had talks with the people and like, you know, some real action was behind this. Um, yeah, sorry. I can't mention it again. Maybe I can in the future here, Austin, but I still, I laugh. It's not funny, but I laugh just, it's one of those things where it's like, man, IndyCar steps on its PP more often than any of us would want. And this would just be one of those ones that's told always by folks uh can you believe that they were going that they went there were going there whatever um i think richmond the oval track there is probably the one that jumps out most of all in terms of uh, where we were meant to go it was on the calendar covid hit change of track presidency happened after covid and with that change there was no longer any energy or interest in having any car back that's the one that I'd say stands out the most as the oh boy, I really wish we had gone back there because my last time I think was like 2001 um, there for an IndyCar event and loved it. We're on the pole there, which is great, blah, blah, blah. But like, um, that's one that really stands out as a I sure hope we find a way to make that happen because it would be really, I hope it'd be really cool. Uh, Ryan Bailey, MP, could you explain some of the similarities or differences between the hybrid unit plan for IndyCar this year versus what's used in IMSA's GTP cars? Great question, Ryan. I'll do this swiftly. In a two-seater prototype where the second seat in the cabin, I mean, back in the like truly 50-plus years ago, there was a genuine like second seat uh in the cockpit there even if it wasn't used regulations still said you had to have one that's been preserved over the decades in terms of a gtp car lmp1 lmp2 p3 whatever that two-seater construction thing has been maintained but there's never been a real effort or any effort at all to put a genuine second seat in the other side of the cockpit get a lot of electronics that have been put in there and radios or drink bottles or whatever else lines run through there but that's it with the gtp cars that whole big unused second seat was fully utilized to place the battery for the energy recovery system if you were to look at the dimensions of the bosch williams advanced engineering wae technology i think is what they call themselves if you look at this battery sled it's not identical in dimensions i actually think it's a little longer but it's the size of if not a little bit bigger than an indycar engine um, it's not as tall, I don't think, but it's definitely longer and approximate width. With that prototype two-seater cockpit design, plenty of room to install that battery and use that to receive electronic energy from the motor generator unit and then send it back. So ample space in indycar there is none 
there's no space. You ha- if you think about what's used in IMSA, just on the battery side, again, it's roughly the size of, if not a little bit bigger in some dimensions, than the engine in the back of an Indy car. There's no room in the side pods uh, of an Indy car, nor is there really enough structural framework to put a big old battery like that in one of the side pods, and that would create a weird weight issue potentially unless it was split between two batteries half size each just even then there's no room to make that happen so if you think about the imsa gtp car before we move to the indy car imsa gtp has the same exact systems as the indy car it has a energy storage and release device that being the kind of big old 220 pound battery that gets loaded up through the bottom of the car and bolted into place up through into the cockpit and then in the the bell housing area that sits between the engine and transmission you have the mgu that motor generator unit that is the electrical motor that gets spun up to harvest and then also spins up to just to deploy that power back to the rear tires both cars have the same exact items mgu and the storage device difference with the indy car though it doesn't have that room as i mentioned to do anything big like a battery so the marvel about this technology here ryan is chevrolet honda some other vendors came up with a package everything lives in the bell housing in imsa it's just the mgu it's about the size of a small pumpkin uh, similar thing f- with indycar but they have done a miniaturized storage system ess energy storage system and instead of it being a, a big and heavy battery which they don't have space for they use miniaturized storage solution with a su- super capacitor and it's a bunch of, of small supercapacitor cells in this kind of thin rectangular wide brick which sits on top of the MGU stuffed inside that bell housing because it's the only place in an Indy car where there was available space to make that happen and also have it sit in an enclosure that is extremely safe. And so that's what it is. Had no room to do anything big or grand like in GTP. So tiny and miniaturized is what they came up. I'm burping. Sorry. Uh, my four or five sips of the beer. Let me do a six there. Um, this is what they had to do, Ryan, to make it work. And it's really impressive. So just to close on power and whatnot. At every IMSA race, except for the Rolex 24, I think at Daytona, it's a smaller electronic horsepower output of, I forget what, 40 horsepower or something like that. But everywhere else, it's 67 horsepower. For what IndyCar is planning in year one, it's about 60 or so. Both systems have the ability to go beyond that, to go over 100 horsepower at least for what we understand in the early years 
They're not wanting to go nuts. They're wanting to err on the side of reliability and then look to go higher from there. If you've got more questions about that, happy to answer in future episodes. And where are we at? Hey, we're at the Marshall Prude Hour. Sorry. And friends recording this on a Tuesday morning, having slept on last night's podcast, which stretched out to, I think, almost an hour and 45 minutes. I said, you know what? I do indeed need to break this into two parts. So that's what we're doing here. Just cutting in. So going to say farewell to this much of the episode and then fire in the other however many minutes for the second part of this later in the week. So thanks once again to Jerry Siddeth for putting together our questions. Thanks to you for the great questions and more to come. And to our show partners at FAF Technologies, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and the Pruittstore.com.